You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software, and Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome back to Solar Insiders. This is our first podcast for the new year. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, thanks for joining us. Oh, Happy New Year, Giles. Great to be back. I've, I've had a bunch of listeners bail me up and say, when are you podcasting? When are you podcasting? So I'm glad we're back. Absolutely. And we've got a lot of people who like to listen to our podcast while they're doing the gardening and taking the kids to school and the washing up. So um, hopefully all those chores now get done. So um, <laughs> that's right. that's a big pause on everything productive. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everyone else had a good rest. I had a good rest over Christmas. And uh, I know I was chatting with someone the other day, actually, who said they, they thought the whole industry, all, all the solar installers particularly, breathed a, a massive sigh of relief after uh, after the 31st of December. And it seemed like most people took uh, the better part of January off and, and had a good two or three weeks breath. And But uh, based on our phones uh, going off the hook in the last week, everyone's back hard at it now. I think so. Yeah, look, I actually get a pretty good feedback when um, when I send out the newsletters or when Renew Economy sends out the newsletters. And I think in the first last two weeks of January, when we started to get back in, I mean, I just got inundated with emails, just sort of from bounce backs from people. I'm waiting till the end of the month and um, just, just starting to wind down. Although there's a few people still out there on holidays. But anyway, look, we'll, we'll, we'll reel them back in. We'll reel them in. We'll reel them in. Mate, um, what's been happening while we've been away? Um... Just on a general thing, it's really interesting. The um, just some of the um, the temperature extremes. Of course, we were lucky enough to go down to mm. Tasmania for two weeks, and um, we were bloody lucky to go when we did because we kind of enjoyed the good weather um, and got to see an awful lot. You know, there's um, the Cradle Mountain, Lake St Clair National Park, and mm. we spent a few days in the Tarkine Wilderness, and nice. um, then went over the other side and went to Bruni Island, and um, absolutely stunning. But then as we left, and um, and ever, ever ever since, you know, this, the the place has erupted yes. in bushfires, and um, pretty scary stuff. And um, just for I mean, like the shocking thing is, apart from the damage to property, is the damage to the wilderness area and mm. you know thousand-year-old forests which have never seen fire before and are now seeing fire clearly because of climate change. Um, Richard Flanagan in the Guardian wrote a fantastic piece um, on Tuesday. I'd recommend anyone looking at that, just drawing the comparison between um, Scott Morrison, who went down there the other day, and um, he's the man that held a lump of coal in Parliament and refuses to talk about climate change and um, and um, just the situation in Tasmania. And, um, yeah, no, um, he makes and then at the p- other end of the country, um, record floods. floods in, floods, in, in, absolutely. in Yes, monsoons, you know? un, un, unheard of um, scale of the monsoons, extraordinary. So it was interesting seeing on things like Q&A, just all the um, independents and the crossbenchers just really making climate change a, um, a major theme this year. So it just seems kind of like the last roll of the dice for Australia to get a policy in shape before, you know, it's kind of almost gets away from us. So... Um, well, it's pretty um, obvious. It's pretty obvious what's going on, you know. So, um, uh, you know, every day there's another story out there. So what do, what can we talk about that's all about solutions, Giles? I'm all about solutions. Well, renewables and solar in particular. Here I am uh, wearing my Solar is the Future t-shirt. Um, 
Well, I mean, it's funny actually talking about that. There were some great numbers, and you published some great articles about how renewables help save the day in all these weather extremes, particularly in Victoria and, and New South Wales, right? Yeah, well, extraordinary. Um, just those heat waves that we saw a couple of weeks ago in uh, South Australia and Victoria. Um, South Australia didn't get any sort of uh, load shedding, mainly because the renewables came to the party. Victoria did. Um, now, of course, the Murdoch media blamed the lack of renewables, but um, any sort of you know proper analysis actually looks at the fact that uh, more than two gigawatts of coal power disappeared, which is exactly the scenario that AEMO had warned of um, in the middle of last year when seeking an emergency reserves. Um, in the end, that wasn't enough, so the, some load shedding did happen, but um, it was interesting to look at the role of solar, almost one gigawatt at the time, yep. the critical time, um, even wind power had um, was producing more than its average share over the whole of January, whereas brown coal, which had been producing more than 70% for most of the month at the time when it was really needed, could only produce, um, account for 30% of the electricity. So. Um, that's kind of um, pretty interesting statistics, and it's just shocking to see the federal... Yeah, the energy transformation's happening around their ears. I don't know when they're going to wake up, Giles. I mean, you know, to see those kinds of results, and it's it's interesting because the, what, the contribution of renewables is almost invisible, you know, especially on the residential level. It's just, it's reducing demand across the network, which is exactly how you want to, what you want to do to avoid these things, but you can do it with solar and not inconvenience anyone. Well, exactly right, exactly right. Yet we just see them sort of charging off into wanting to have this 24-7 baseload reliable fed income power and um, it's actually sort of That's getting beyond the joke now. Um, but yeah. um, but there we go. But um, anyway, but look, I mean, the um, we, we saw some statistics about how much solar got put in last year. I mean, another record-breaking year, and it doesn't actually look um, show any signs of actually slowing down this year. I guess um, if you're looking at 2019, what we will probably see is an awful lot more battery storage, thanks mainly to those various state-based um, incentives. And if Labor win the federal election, some federal incentives as well. Yep, everyone I'm talking to. I was chatting with some guys in Victoria this morning in Victoria and South Australia the other day, and they're all, um, you know, they're all going gangbusters. They're just moving fast. The machines, well and truly in action down in uh, in the southern states, and of course New South Wales is going strong as well. But um, particularly Victoria, um, you know, just chugging along at a great pace now. So it's good. It's good. It's good. Hey, one, one little thing you've got in our, our menu for discussions and just going back to the bushfires was the California utility PG&E. Now, this is actually really big news in the US and particularly in California, mm. which mm. has this sort of mandate to go to 100% renewables um, by 2045. And just on that note, we've actually got a um, an interview on energy, the Energy Insiders podcast coming up in a couple of weeks with um, one of the key players in the, um, in the California market. So that's going to be fascinating. But PG, it looks like it's going to go belly up. Um, um, simply because of all its liabilities that fell due because of all the bushfires that um, its falling wires caused. Um, well, people might remember all those bushfires that were burning in California last year and um, falling wires was one of the principal causes and um, PG have been held accountable for it. Yeah, and this, this, this um, you know, it really highlights the, 
I guess the precariousness and 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 the risk involved in in this sense the 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 network component of PG&E's business they've got a retail component to their business as well but you know when you get that big and you've got that much scale as much as them and you have a disaster of that magnitude and and we're seeing these disasters every time we see natural disasters nowadays they're bigger and more vicious and more surprising every time and this one's this one appears to have to have really toppled them they've filed for chapter 11 um you know there's a there's a bit of process that's going to take place so you know they may they may be saved yet but by all accounts and all the articles are saying that um that they can't recover from it and um let alone if they if they have to pay um uh, costs from litigation associated with with them being found to be culpable in any way but just the loss of infrastructure alone has, has destroyed them and there's a big lesson there for 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 australian utilities and you know the damage that's just been caused in tasmania and in queensland i'm sure um, is going to add a, a huge chunk to the cost of operating and, and, and getting those networks back up and running, right? Well, look, it reminds me of the Victorian bushfires, um, which were absolutely tragic. And um, one of the principal, cause, principal causes there was also um, power lines falling down and um, touching, you know, sparking grass fires. And what was really interesting about was some of the investigations that were looked at about, well, what can we do to mitigate that in the future? And um, look, there's various proposals. You could bury the lines, but that would probably cost uh, an absolute heap. But there were some really smart solutions proposed, including actually sort of setting up little mini grids in um, remote areas. So you could actually just switch off the power of the main lines. You could sort of, you know, make them dead. So if they fall over, they don't actually sort of cause any problems and have remote towns and communities um, operating on a little mini grid supported by battery storage of course Australia's archaic damn regulatory regime doesn't allow for such things to happen although that may change but um, it just goes to show that um, in Australia we probably face um, similar threats but um, by crikey there's actually some really smart solutions if we allow our regulations to uh, um, for us to be as smart as we possibly could be. That's right. Re resilience. It's all about resilience, right? And diversity. And you, and you look at the more modern grids around the world and they're intelligent, they're diverse, and they're resilient uh, as, a, as a consequence of that. And that's that's where we're going to have to get to. And um, Well, know, that's right, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of the South Australian statewide blackout and um, I, I, I do remember this when um, AGL Managing Director Andy Vasey, the then Managing Director, was said, well, look, if you really want a resilient grid, you're going to have to make it distributed and lots of mini grids. And um, the <laughs> There you go. There's, there's the uh, there's the owner of the largest amount of the biggest the biggest coal fleet in the country just was saying, well, this is the way you make it really, really resilient. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because Audrey Zieverman from AEMO um, also lived through the New York blackouts as a result of um, Hurricane Sandy, and the conclusion there was pretty much the same: um, mm. mini grids and distributed energy, and um, that's where New York is heading. So um, we'll probably get there too eventually. Eventually, and and you know this is where it's it's interesting to watch the politics of what's going on and at the moment we've got you know a bunch of independents lining up to challenge uh, Tony Abbott former Prime Minister in his electorate um, we've got uh, Zali Stegall who's lined up and we saw Oliver Yates throw his hand up um, a couple of terrific candidates and they're all leading with climate change so that we can get on the front foot with these issues because while ever we've got people just denying that there's a problem uh, there's not a lot of incentive to fix it um, so um, yeah really interesting to see all the independents lining up it's going to be a fascinating next few months of, uh, of announcements and, and uh, candidates standing and then an, uh, an election not too far away. 
Well, it is interesting, absolutely. You've got Tony Abbott, Josh Frydenberg um, and Greg Hunt all being targeted by um, independents and they're pretty much the people responsible for the climate and energy policy over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Plus you've got Peter Dutton up in Queensland being targeted, particularly by GetUp and uh, various grassroots um, organisations, or I'm not too sure what the alternative, who, who the alternative candidate is up there. And um, I think there's um, some grassroots campaigns down... Um, in, I think it's Hume, which is um, Angus Taylor's electorate, and um, also Craig Kelly down in, um, I think it's Hughes, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the H's. Like mm. you, know, you know, the interesting thing out of all of this is that there's a really simple solution for all all these um, all these uh, guys to, to stay in power. If they really want to stay in power, they just have to get on and accept that climate change is real and start thinking like forward-thinking human beings. So, you know, there you go, boys, you can stay in the job. Stay in your electorate, stay in your seat. All you've got to do is accept climate change and and uh, put some policies in place that actually you know move us forward rather than trying to keep us in the dark age. It's not that hard. It's not that hard, but if they said that that's, that's what they're going to do, I wouldn't believe them, actually. I think it's time to go and have a bit of a change, then they can come back with those things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If they want. Now, look, um, let's talk about some other technology, some some tech news. Now, um, what's this about sort of camper systems? Oh, look, you know, uh, I was just thinking back over the summer and, you know, you do that. As I went north, you went south. Um, I visited friends and family all up and down the east coast. And as usual, I find myself, almost every house that I go to now has got solar on it. In fact, everyone I went to, uh, seven different solar systems I saw, I ended up uh, being dragged into, oh, can you just check this? And what do you think about this? And, you know, how's my bill going? And what about my monitoring? And da 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 da. Uh, and of course, we uh, we trundled along in our camper van, which has got a huge solar system uh, uh, on the on the roof, which runs it while we're camping. And then um, even even my wife got solar for Christmas this year because she, well, what she want, really wanted was an owl nesting box. And so I built her an owl nesting box. But one of the problems with our nesting boxes is that possums tend to move in and take over and scare the owls off. And I thought, how do you say? They said, oh, you just got to climb the six metres up to the box and check it every so often. I thought, that's stupid. How, how, can we, how can we do this using a bit of technology? So I bought a little solar kit, little solar panel, got an old iPhone, mounted it inside the owl nesting box with a motion-activated trigger. So now whenever any critter gets in there, the camera comes on, records some video, and I can tell what's in the box and get a little alert. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was uh, a fun way to trick my wife into getting some solar. And how are you sleeping at night with all these alerts coming through and the videos of the owls and the possums? Oh, oh well, so far, so good. It's only been up a week or so, so we'll wait and see what happens. <laughs> But hopefully, of, you know, the good of news all the, is of all owls, the bright ideas, Nigel, of all the no, bright no, no, ideas. Did no. you know if if an owl does move in and they do decide to nest there, we'll be able to uh, see the the eggs uh, hatching live, Giles. So you know, watch this space. Is that legal? <laughs> um, and I even got a ride on a solar train. I was up in Byron uh, and jumped that, on the solar train for a day, which was terrific fun. Geez, that's a good setup. It's just beautifully done. The whole thing, isn't it? A good old red rattler powered by um, the sun and batteries yeah. and all you hear is the red rattling. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and, no, it's and fantastic. Everyone, there was a great little mob on it who, who all loved it and, you know, we just went out for a, for, a, for a little bit of a ride just for something to do and got to the other end and we said, oh, what's here? Oh, there's a resort and a pub. 
I was, oh, good. Went to the pub. What more could you want? Kids mooched around, and then we went back to Byron for the rest of the day. It's it's a great thing to do. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Probably um, a good time to thank our sponsors, of course, um, Solar Analytics and PV Cell, um, part of SunWiz. We appreciate your ongoing support. Been around for the last year and more. And um, it's great that you guys are continuing with us this year. So um, all the experts out there, um, don't forget your monitoring equipment and um, don't forget your data analysis um, <laughs> with PV, PV cell. Um, now, look, um, good solar and crap solar. Um, look, on crap solar, you have an absolutely cracking story, which um, we're publishing today in One Step Off the Grid and Renew oh, Economy. Great. Great. Before we do that, um, briefly on good solar. Yeah, so there's been some good um, seminars going on, actually, and I want to encourage everyone to get out there. A lot of talk, and we've, we've raised this topic before about um, um, how, how a number of uh, government groups have got on board, particularly with the approved retailer program, and there's been a bit of stuff going around the industry about, oh, why do I have to become an approved retailer? I'm already an accredited installer, but what does an approved retailer achieve and why do I have to sign up? It's the only one that's available. So anyway, a lot of a lot of argy-bargy has been going on and a new working group uh, was formed um, late last year called the Behind the Meter Working Group. And the idea with that is to try and evolve our retail um, standards, if you like, for retail behavior. And that's what the approved retailer program does. The approved solar retail program does that now and the Smart Energy Council's got a similar kind of program. Uh, but the idea now is that what what everyone's trying to do is 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 munge all these programs together to get the best outcome for everyone, the lowest cost for everyone, uh, and the most up to date program that protects consumers, so that governments can feel really comfortable that if they're rolling these rebate programs out, they've got um, uh, industry uh, organisations behind them with good programs. So the behind the meter seminars have started. Um, they they're the ones that are designed to create this new code, this new standard. Um, I went along to the first one in Sydney just before the end of uh, last year, which was a great little workshop session really interesting little mix of people and there have been several more coming on I know everyone's busy but I really want to encourage solar companies to get along to these behind the meter seminars um, the more people that involve the, the more diverse views we're going to get and the better that standard and, and code is going to become and and more importantly the, the more um, you all get a chance to have a say uh, and and if you don't get along now and get involved in that process and the process is going to move and and you won't have had your input so please guys um, send someone along to the behind the meter seminars and let's let's update all our codes and regulations and protect consumers even more and the need for that is underlined by your next story, which is just a cracking yarn about some of the activities of the door-to-door salesmen in the solar industry. And we actually hate to hear about this, um, but it happens. And uh, we've warned people about, um, you know, even cold calls over the phone or people knocking on your door. Probably a bad idea. Probably going to be a bit sus. But you came across someone who got a fascinating insight into how this is done. I did. And, and, and you know, I don't want to say... You know, it's funny when when people say, "Oh, what's your general advice for how to buy solar, or what not to do, or what not to accept?" I generally recommend against taking cold, buying solar off someone who cold calls. I generally recommend against buying off door knockers. Door knockers. Um, there are a lot of other ways you can get proactive and go and find um, local, experienced, high quality solar people. Now, having said that, I don't want to tarnish every door knocker. I know some companies use door knocking as a technique, and there are some good companies out there doing it. The vast majority aren't. So, you know, you've really got to. 
um, test them. And this story was about someone I know, actually, who um, jumped in, um, and, and I won't go through it. I mean, maybe take a look at the blog. But the, the long and the short of it was that this company um, over-promises. They, they've, they've made the whole business of selling solar into a, just a meat grinder. It just chews people up and spits them out. Um, you know, they hire people. Um, in this particular case, my friend Mick, um, saw an ad online on Facebook, clicked a button, uh, had a job interview within about 15 minutes, um, was there for the interview the next day at 9am and started work the, the very next morning. Um, a total of about 10 or 15 minutes training to become a solar door knocker. So don't think that um, in this particular case there was any experience or any expertise or any sense at all. It was a very, very simple script. Um, huge promises about how much money they were going to be able to make. Um, and the long and the short of it is after a week and a half, my friend Mick decided to pull the pin on it because um, he realized that um, he was he was feeling like he was being forced to do things that were immoral. He was being forced to push product down people's throats who didn't want it. He uh, was under massive pressure to close these um, close these appointments um, or else he wasn't going to get paid. Uh, and the promises that they made about how much money was available didn't materialize. Um, ultimately, ultimately, based on what my friend Mick did, he ended up getting paid 2 bucks 54 an hour uh, for, a, for an equivalent well, 54 five-hour week, which is illegal um, and just outrageous. And, um, uh, of course, they turn staff over, which is why if you Google around on Facebook you'll and, and other places, you'll find loads and loads of, of ads for this type of role because people are having that. They're just churning through. It is a meat grinder. They know people are only going to stay one or two weeks. And, in fact, Mick said to me, geez, you know, there are a couple of people who were sacked within the first couple of days for, you know, daring to complain about, you know, having to spend their whole day walking around in a suburb they'd never been into in the heat um, uh, or asking too many questions or pushing too hard or whatever else. Um, so that's not even going into the actual quality of the products and the price that are being offered. That's actually just going into the work practices, which sounds horrific enough. And one can just presume if that's the way they're operating their business, then what comes out the other end is not going to be very good. It really does exactly. remind me of um, when I was 18, which is an awful long time ago, um, many, many decades. And um, over in Perth, and uh, two of my mates... Um, were um, started selling art door to door and um, <laughs> yeah, 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 God, yeah. similar sort of caper. I mean, they knew yeah. they were they knew they were selling rubbish. They knew they were selling to people who didn't really want to buy it and probably didn't have the money to buy it. But you know that old sales technique of um, you know you get your foot in the door and um, you can pretty much convince some people of anything. And um, no, just extraordinary. That, that, that's what that story reminded me of. And um, look, um, exactly this, the same. And it's not it's not just this industry, I stress. But you know, we we seem to be a magnet for it, sadly. Um, and and you know, to actually hear from the inside of how how ugly and brutal and you know. Just, just, it just diminishes solar down to uh, the ugliest, most basic elements of people not getting what they really should get, and not people not being treated well anywhere along the line either, which is even more appalling. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, anything else on solar before we move into quick, um, into a bit of a wrap of the EV and battery news? 
No, look, I mean, I think I think the thing that's uh, plain to see is that this year it could be an absolute cracker, Giles. It, it, not, not the large-scale stuff we don't expect to be as big, but the rooftop in the commercial sector is just going off its head at the moment. Um, so there is so much activity out there, and, and that tipping point that we kind of started to reach in commercial last year seems to be continuing to roll on. We've got investments being made. We've seen, you know, solar companies had having big investments made in them by international players in that space, in the residential and commercial space. So I think this year is going to be an absolute cracker if it keeps going at this pace. Absolutely. Well, you've got the Victorian scheme, which is going to underpin another 2.6 gigawatts over the next 10 years with the re-election of, Liberal, of the Labor government, sorry, late last year. Um, and um, absolutely, there's. Um, I, I think the pace is going to continue. In fact, it's probably going to continue on the large scale as well because we're starting to see a lot more solar projects, this time paired with battery storage appearing in South Australia and Western New South Wales. Another couple of solar farms have been connected in um, Queensland this week, um, Susan River, um, Childers is just about to follow. Tail and Ben's just about to come on stream in um, in South Australia, and then a whole bunch of other solar farms which we saw connected to the grid late last year are finally going to finish their sort of you know quite um, onerous con- um, you know connection procedures or sort of you know the whole whole commissioning thing. So um, that's taking yep. a while for many people. So um, no, really interesting. Hey, look, um, this. Quickly over to battery storage and electric vehicles, just to sort of throw it in, because um, mm. as we did with the, uh, we did this great interview with um, James Kennedy, the uh, co-founder of Tritium on the Driven podcast, and it was fascinating just talking about, you know, electric vehicles and battery chargers and vehicle to grid technology and how that will mm. just change the grid completely. So mm. it's coming, all coming interrelated. So it's sort of kind of the same thing, but. Um, Australia Post just announced last week they're going to buy another thousand of the little um, three-wheeled electric delivery vehicles. So I saw, um, I saw one of them the other day. I must admit the posty looked really happy. I, I remember. <laughs> I, I remember as a kid, sort of sitting outside, and if I was really waiting for a letter, which you don't do so much anymore because everything comes down through email, you'd actually be waiting for the little roar of the moped coming down the street, and um, that's not going to happen anymore because it's all no. silent and electric. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so a thousand of them. So that's fantastic. And of course, there's a big push now. Um, maybe to get the um, the federal government, they're looking to replace their Comcar fleet, which is the fleet that um, the old Holden Caprices, which are used to, mostly Holden Caprices, which are used to drive around MPs and judges and adv- other uh-huh. dignitaries and things like that. So why not put them all in a Tesla or some other, you know, or maybe the Jaguar i Pace or something, something smarter and quieter and probably in the end cheaper. But... Um, I'm not too sure they're going to go for that. They didn't go for the um, EV inquiry that uh, was delivered last week by Tim Storer. Tim Storer had a whole bunch of targets. Um, revenue neutral, he thought about this quite carefully. He mm-hmm. got the Parliamentary bu- budget, Budgetary Office to do the costings. Excellent. He worked out an offset with a bit of a, um, a bit of a fiddle with a luxury tax. That so was going to be revenue neutral, but unfortunately, Labor and the Liberals did not jump at it. Um, I don't know what that's about. Um, I don't know whether it's because it's too close for the election for them to actually be seen to be agreeing on anything. I'm really hoping that Labor actually comes out with a half-sensible electric vehicle policy during the election campaign, but clearly they weren't ready to do it in the context of the Senate estimates or the Senate committee report, which is um, 
a bit frustrating, but it certainly laid it's down. Yeah, but it's great groundwork, though, right? And he's he's Absolutely. he's got a lot of current and up to date inputs, um, and, and a lot of submissions that he received through everyone. I, I I did read the other day that you know the body that was supposed to be investigating this over the last few years has been found to have hardly had any meetings at all, and hardly even kept minutes of it. And and so he's brought the agenda. He's brought it up on the agenda, which is awesome. And I think you know with timing now, if we um, depending on what happens through the election, it's a good it's a good foundation to move forward on now because we're going to need to move fast. There's so much happening in 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 the world of cars, let alone motorcycles, of course. And you've got some motorcycle news just on that point, no doubt. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to have to write a blog about this, but, but I'll just give you the the headlines, which were really cool. There was a lot going on over Christmas, a lot of announcements made over Christmas by a number of really major manufacturers around electric motorcycles. So the first one is there's an Australian one. There's a guy down in uh, Victoria called um, uh, Mr. Savage, uh, and he's just, he's raised some funds and built a prototype, which he had a motorcycle show late last year, which I read about in a, in a bike magazine. I've been in touch with him. I'm hoping to get an, art, uh, an, an interview with him soon. But he is going to custom build um, the first run will be 10 uh, really beautiful custom-built electric motorcycles. They're kind of cool, retro kind of thing. 20 grand. Um, so that's a reasonably competitive price for a, for a fairly high-end bike. Um, certainly something unique. Um, um, so And he's, he's apparently taken deposits of 7 out of 10 of them already. So great start for Mr. Savage, and, and hopefully we're going to learn more about that. Um, the other big announcement was Ducati. So the head of Ducati um, came out and said their future is electric. Um, there's been a bunch of sort of tinkerers around the edges, and I'm sure Ducati have been doing their own watching and experimenting around the around the fringes. And there's they haven't started anything yet, but they have announced that they're going down that route as well, which is really interesting because they have such great brand strength. Um, and speaking of brand, Harley, of course, um, and Harley's details have have been trickling out, and there was a really good article about how they've made a very conscious decision their bike looks expensive their bike is you know comparatively less powerful than for example a zero and it's you know ten thousand dollars more than a zero but what they are focusing on um is is making sure that every one of their dealers knows how to service them how to support them how to repair them how to get them back up and running if you ever do have a problem and support is the piece that's missing nowadays so it looks like they might have taken a a a lesson from what's been going on in, in the rest of the industry around electric motorbikes and making sure that support's good so that's really really good the other huge news um so we had ducati make an announcement we've got savage with a twenty thousand bike we've got harley coming to the market with their thirty thousand dollar live wire and then lo and behold lightning motorcycles out of california made a mind-blowing announcement if lightning can deliver this it is going to change the game on everybody so lightning have built a, a very small number of you know sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollar motorcycle electric motorcycles. They won Pike's Peak. They own the land speed records on on Bonnie. I mean, these guys build incredibly powerful fast bikes. Everyone who re- rides them and reviews re- reviewed them have all just been you know melted brains kind of stuff. Incredible, incredible machines. They've announced a new bike. Uh, it has a hundred and fifty miles of range, which is excellent. It also has 150 miles per hour top speed, which is mind-bending. Um, and get this, $12,900 US, Giles. So that is, you know, an order of magnitude. That sounds below. extraordinary. 
It's extraordinary. It's probably, you know... That sounds like lightning striking twice. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, you know, bless him. If they can get that off off and running, um, they will have a high-performance bike like nothing else that's out there. And then just when we thought poor old Zero were going to be kept uh, uh, caught sleeping, um, they've made an announcement too. Now, they haven't told us exactly what. Um, that's coming out of a motorbike show this month, in fact. There's going to be several announcements this month. And Zero are bringing out an all-new bike, which promises some some great new features as well. So... Yeah, that's just a quick wrap, and I'm going to have to put a big blog together to try and give you all the details. But so much going on, and and um, yeah, interesting that everyone's now sort of positioning themselves in the market to go, okay, we're we're, we're going to be the premium bike, and it's going to be all about service, and that's just going to cost more. But I'm Harley, so I can do that. <laughs> you know, uh, custom builders, and we've got the performance guys, and we've got Zero just plugging away there, building great street bikes. You know, really, really fascinating stuff for bikes, and just completely on the other end of the scale I actually got a test drive of a um, of a Fonzarelli moped Australian made electric moped ah. um, yeah Jimmy from Light Touch Solar down in Lennox Head um, just sort of um, almost a neighbour and um, his wife Helen have, um, have got one and um, look it's Helen's um, mode of transport and um, I got to ride it um, sort of have, have a spin around the back blocks of, um, of Lennox Head um, Unfortunately, neither of their helmets fit in my head, so uh, when I saw the local constabulary go past, I had to hit the, the invisible button, which fortunately worked. Um, so, but um, oh, look, it was just, just terrific. It was just terrific. Um, yeah. They're a great so, little bike, um, aren't they? And a great oh, story. We, we talked about, um, I forget her name now. But, Michelle. Michelle. Um, great story of how... Michelle, we're trying to get you on the podcast. Yeah, um, Michelle, please, please, say come, yes. <laughs> please come and talk to us, Michelle. Um, such a great little business. And ironically, just down the road from me in Redfern. Um, so, um, um, so uh, yeah, can't wait. And I know a number of people who've, um, who've ridden them um, and, and have nice things to say, especially about the later model ones. Some of the early ones were, were a little bit lacking, but the later model ones are looking like a pretty decent little scooter. Um, so, yeah, there's tons going on good stuff Nigel oh I think we'll probably have to bring it into it now I think um some exciting stuff we're gonna be back in a fortnight um and um look thanks for joining us once again look thanks again to our sponsors Solar Analytics and PV Cell from yeah. Sunwiz um yeah, he's got new features on his dashboard I see too live, features live, absolutely live mapping or something it's really Oof, it's all too exciting. And um, look, um, we'll be back this time in a fortnight. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of PV Cell software. Powerful technology for solar sales and design with free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PV cell plan. Retailers can stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar software. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.